Welcome to Museum Archipelago. I'm Ian Elsner. Museum Archipelago guides you through the rocky landscape of museums. Each episode is never longer than 15 minutes. So let's get started. In American history most often told, the vitality of Black activism has been obscured in favor of celebrating white-led movements. In the 19th century, an enormous network of African-American activists created a series of state and national political meetings known as the Colored Conventions Movement. The Colored Convention Movement was Black-led, and Black organizers came together across so many of the states. Beginning in 1830, folks began to gather in Philadelphia, and there were both state and national conventions that discussed labor rights, educational rights, voting rights, violence against Black communities, the expulsion of people who weren't considered residents and citizens. The conventions movement was not just a kind of single thing where there was one issue that they were really dedicated towards solving and figuring out. Conventions were held in at least 35 states. And keep in mind, this is the 19th century, so there weren't 50 states even back then. We really think that there's a way through this history to rethink everything that begins far along before the Civil War and leads up into the 20th century. Gabrielle Foreman and Jim Casey are two co-founders and two co-directors of the Colored Conventions Project, a Black digital humanities initiative focused on researching and teaching the Colored Conventions movement. Hi, my name's Gabrielle Foreman, and I teach at the University of Delaware. I'm one of the co-founders of the Colored Conventions Project and the founding faculty director of that project. Hello, I'm Jim Casey. I'm a researcher at the Center for Digital Humanities at Princeton University, and I am also one of the co-founders of the Colored Conventions Project, as well as one of the co-directors. The Colored Conventions Project, or CCP, is dedicated to identifying, collecting, and curating all of the documents produced by the Colored Conventions movement, which started in 1830 and lasted until the 1890s. The project is much bigger than just Foreman or Casey, and it includes graduate fellow Denise Berger. Hello, my name is Denise Berger, and I am a team member at the Colored Conventions Project, housed at the University of Delaware. The significance of this collection is that none of these documents have all been assembled in one place, not even when the conventions were going on, were the proceedings and the minutes all in one place for anyone to actually look at and see. So this is actually the first time that this archive will be collected. It allows us to see and to understand not just the issues that were facing African Americans, but in particular, how to make more complex the way we think about the African American community and the kind of civic, social, political activities that were taken up, not just here in the United States, but across the diaspora. And so what we're getting then is a more complete idea of not only what took place then, but how these activists were able to influence, shape, and create contemporary civil rights, political action, and social justice organizations in our current moment. By studying the organizing principles of the Colored Conventions movement, the project reveals how data can be a form of protest. One of the things that we see in the conventions most often is that they are responding to a lack of information about who they are, who their communities are, and what they're doing, right? And this is about a kind of form of protest where we're trying to combat against things like ignorance. (laughs) And so many of the conventions would have these formalized ways of gathering information 
distilling them and then preparing them to get published in all kinds of different ways. And the conventions themselves have a longer life and a longer reach because the proceedings often appear in black newspapers and in the anti-slavery press and in the progressive white press. But if you look at the coverage of these conventions, then you understand the structural and strategized reach to make sure that we get beyond the people who were actually in the meeting rooms themselves. That's one of the things that the project has made central, to think not just about the podium and not just the podium and the pews, but to think through the ways in which Black infrastructure was built around Black convention organizing. Right, so I'll give you an example. In the California convention, we have this very small, growing group of African Americans, and they get together in conventions a couple of times in the 1850s, on into the 1860s. And what they do is they ask everybody who's involved to ask around, to take what effectively amounts to a census. And they want to gather information about who the population is that's being left out of the official records, that's being left out of the government reports, right? We have all kinds of things happening in California uh, where folks are being de denied the right to testify in a court of law, for example, where you're not physically able to account for yourself. And so the conventions compile all of these statistics and they track everything that they can with the idea that they're providing a set of useful information for the writers in their ranks, but also the local politicians know that the community is not just, you know, a couple of people living out gold rush country and then when they go to publish it and this is a really kind of important part is that they prepare some reports to go out to as they might frame it the people of the united states and then they'll often in many of the conventions prepare side reports that are addressed to the people of color in the state or in the country and oftentimes they're putting out relatively the same message or the same set of ideas but really sort of gearing and prioritizing different kinds of arguments in different places. And so when thinking about the conventions as a place to kind of learn about record keeping, it's full of so many of these great examples of folks who are sort of thinking in multiple directions at one time and how we do things like accumulate data and then build stories around them. And the co-founders of the project purposely structured the initiative to mirror the energy and collective commitments of the colored conventions themselves. One of the first things that struck me when I visited the project website was the terms of use for the project's data. The data are freely accessible, but when you go to download, the site asks you to commit to the following principles. I honor CCP's commitment to the use of data that humanizes and acknowledges the black people whose collective organizational histories are assembled here. Although the subjects of databases are often reduced to abstract data points, I will contextualize and narrate the condition of the people who appear as data and to name them when possible. As Foreman explains, principles like these reflect the wholeness of Black communities and is an example of one of the ways that the project intentionally and in practice continues the principles of the Colored Convention movement itself, to respect, not just collect. Whenever possible, we try to intervene in the ways in which Black people are represented in academic spaces in ways that do honor to the ways in which the delegates and the conventions were intervening about the ways in which black people and communities were represented in the larger press, in the law, and in the exclusionary politics, which tried to erase them. Big data sets tend to call things items, right? Black people showed up on ledgers as items. We have a whole history 
of being turned into objects and objects and items are language that are very common are the nomenclature in libraries and in museums in the ways in which we talk about the things that we curate. And so we wanna at all moments testify and witness to the humanity and the narratives of named people whose histories have been disremembered and who can be turned too quickly into data sets in ways that are extraordinarily uncomfortable considering the history of objectification and ownership that is the legacy of Black people's existence in these United States over more than 400 years. That's, I think, what we're trying to make sure does not happen, that people come to the use of data, which is collected in a group of people who wants to respect, not just collect the work of people who came before us and largely made our existence and our study possible. And we want to do that in ways that always is humanizing um, to them and to us. And as Berger points out, part of the project's purpose is to change the overall narrative of the most often told version of Black American history in the 19th century. We have a very fleshed out and detailed notion of abolitionism in this country, but we don't understand actually that the majority of the abolitionists were American, nor do we then understand the ways that African-American activism shaped contemporary, quote-unquote, American notions of civil rights, of uh, who gets to vote and why, of who gets to stand in a juror box. This erasure, this imbalance allows one story to dominate. We lose the ability to actually see what happens and therefore we lose the ability to understand what happened. And it also then leads us, I think, to create a kind of celebratory history of American progress and American race neutrality, what they call post-racial, et cetera, et cetera, that the truth belies. We're much more interested in what African-Americans were saying about African-Americans who were involved in creating this movement. And that's one of the reasons that the understudy of the convention movement is a particularly egregious disremembrance because the movement um, speaks to the continuous targeting of communities of color um, in this country that has gone um, more or less uninterrupted and documents a much longer history of organized protest and formal petitioning for fair and equal treatment of those communities. The CCP is also studying the social network of the convention goers. When you list out who attended which conference, you begin to see patterns, not only of prolific delegates, but also the infrastructure around the conventions. The project has even organized records like reviews of boarding houses the conference-goers stayed in. Another key principle of the project is a commitment to resurrecting women's centrality to the movement, records of which might not be as widely published. It took a great deal of energy uh, to host a convention that those conventions had hundreds and hundreds of people attending and that those people were men and women, and that women were responsible for the boarding houses and the feeding and the housing of the delegates 
and that so many conversations and political strategy sessions we know also happened in those informal places. So the project has been committed to resurrecting women's centrality in the history that they have been erased from or anonymized in, in terms of the records themselves, but that we know they were central to in the actual historical moment. And we have strategies and protocols to make sure as we resurrect this history that women are included in the history that they helped to create. Casey makes the point that the original convention goers were really good at getting lots of people involved in the movement. And this presents yet another opportunity for the project to mirror the movement. We know that if we can do just enough to help get folks up and running and participating in different kinds of ways, then we can really expand the numbers of who can participate in preserving and and creating access to this history. To that idea, we've created this annual holiday to celebrate the birthday of Frederick Douglass. And what we do every year is we get birthday cakes and we sing happy birthday. And we get together with groups and we give out these organizing kits to help folks at other locations and communities and schools organize their own events. And together, all in one afternoon, we log online and we transcribe documents together with the idea that we're both celebrating something, but we're also inviting folks to participate in building parts of the history that we're talking about. Douglas Day wasn't created by the Colored Conventions Project, but is another example of resurrecting something that already existed before. The readathons take place on Frederick Douglass's chosen birthday, February 14th, and in 2019 will be held at the University of Delaware Morris Library and the African American Museum of Philadelphia. They will also be live-streamed over the internet. I think a good way to describe the Colored Conventions Project is as an open research framework with a very strong set of principles. It is remarkable for me to see the organizing tools that I think of as modern, or at least native to the internet, have their roots in this understudied movement of 19th century Black activism. It's also interesting to think how other projects and institutions can contribute and follow some of the same organizational principles. There is a place for storytelling in the midst of all this data. And in fact, that's what tends to connect with people. And that's something that is shared between museum and digital spaces. Some of the very questions about accessibility and participation that museums are Um, attempting to grapple with finally at this stage, we're also um, engaging um, as a project that creates digital content um, and digital stories about this extraordinary group of delegates and participants and hosts who made this movement possible. You can learn more about the Colored Conventions Project by visiting coloredconventions.org. This has been Museum Archipelago. You'll find a full transcript of this episode, along with show notes, at museumarchipelago.com. I'm so happy to announce that Museum Archipelago stickers are now available. These feature special treatments of the logo and are perfect for museum conferences or just to signal your favorite insightful museum podcast. The pack of five stickers is only available to Club Archipelago members at any contribution level. Join by February 1st, 2019 at patreon.com slash museumarchipelago to ensure you get your stickers. Special thanks to Club Archipelago's newest member, Simon Obendorf. Thanks for listening. And next time, bring a friend.